Good morning, Midland Free. My name is Tammy Stevens, and I have the privilege of serving as the chairman of your Go Global uh, leadership team. So it's my privilege today to be able to share with you um, or introduce you to today's speaker. We have a very unique opportunity today to hear from a longtime missionary, Mike Rietma. Mike and his wife, Cher, have been serving as full-time missionaries in Bolivia for 43 years. They just came off the field and landed in the States 11 weeks ago. They have spent all of 10 days in their new home before hitting the road to see their supporting churches for the one last time. Though Midland Free has not been directly supporting them as a church, we have had connections with them as well as various family members over the years. And we were very excited at the opportunity to bring them here for you today as you get to experience a unique perspective from one who has lived among one of the hardest places. During their time on the field, they received rejections and resistance all before they were accepted as a family member within the tribe of the Hazahe. I said that wrong, sorry. <laughs> um, that didn't go without more challenges as they dealt with difficult sicknesses and death of those that were, they were very close to within the tribe and so much more. It was all worth the price that was paid. Christ was not known in this region and now today, they have, in their own language, the New Testament, and they have self-sustaining churches and amazing local leaders to be shepherds of those churches. Mike and Cher are the parents of a couple that Midland Free sent out in 2014, Jared and Becca Ritma. They have become full-time missionaries for the last nine years as well. To make things even more interesting, Cher was a missionary kid herself, and her parents served for 50 years in Bolivia. Today, our team sees an opportunity as a wonderful way to celebrate what God has done in the lives of one family in three generations, while yet impacting, impacting lives of hundreds, if not thousands, already and yet many more years to come after building up, sustaining churches, leaders, and now having God's word in their tribal language. We will never fully understand the sacrifices and magnitude of serving in this selfless way to give up your all and to give others all of you. As I invite Mike to the stage, it is our prayer for you to hear how God is calling you today to enjoy, embrace, and engage in God's epic story of redemption through Mike's teaching and sharing of his life as well as one of the earliest recorded missionary journeys. It's good to be back in Midland. Um, the last time we were here was 2020, and that year was quite eventful for us. My wife and I, we had an election in Bolivia. The counting stopped. It was fraudulent. People um, protested, stri were striking. The country was shutting down. The politicians all resigned. The so-called elected leader fled to Mexico for political asylum, the only country that would allow him asylum from Bolivia. And our mission saw what was happening, the contingency committee, and said, you got to go. 
And I thought we were in the safest place out in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, but the country's shutting down. You won't be able to get out. All the airports are shutting down. So uh, I, we shut our house down in like an hour. And grabbing the last things, I thought this might be the last time we see our house. Uh, there was talk of civil, civil war in Bolivia. And we got, we got here, thank God, for uh, a church here in town that had a mission house. I felt, like we, I felt like refugees in one sense. I can identify now with those who have to leave on you know, just short notice. We got here, and um, thank God for the home on Perrin Avenue there, Perrin Street. And COVID hit, shut everything down. Just, we had scheduled after evacuating that maybe we could um, connect with our churches and that all shut down. And then I don't know the exact date, but the epic flood, we were eating, eating uh, our supper and cell phones were going off. I didn't connect that Wixom Lake Dam had breached. <laughs> so we're, we're just wondering or clicking off, but Wixom didn't ring a bell. We've been to Sanford Lake, but not Wixom. And I looked out, and Wackerly was all these cars leaving both lanes. And I looked at my neighbor, and he said, uh, Mike, uh, you got to get out of here because water's coming. <laughs> so we were here in Midland for a short while, and the home was uh, flooded. And God allowed us to go to Saginaw. We have a daughter, and we ended up in Muskegon. So it was, uh, it's good to be back. Uh, back in Midland. Um, and as been shared, we just thank God for this church and how they've supported our son and Becca and their ministry in Indonesia. Some of you may know my brother, Pat. He coached at Northwood University for 20 years. I was out there. His imprint, his legacy carries on. Go mad in Jesus' name. Um, Ironically, the basketball, I mean, he was a football coach, but uh, the basketball stadium there, or arena, is Ritma Arena in honor of him. So it was neat to visit with the coaches this week and catch up. And <clears throat> we had a family crisis in 2015. We had to leave the field. And uh, I won't get into all the details, but Jared's new newly formed Timothy team, which I didn't understand because I'm uh, old, from the old generation of uh, missionaries, I guess, but a great concept where Midland Free had some families that would just really go to bat for Jared, newly formed. We had to come back. We had a crisis. We had to find an apartment and furnish it. And with the help of that Timothy team, we had that done in, in 24 hours. Uh, we, were, we were battling some medical issues, but that Timothy team uh, just went to bat for us. So we thank God for that, that part. And some of you might not be familiar, but there's Timothy teams here in the church, and it's a great ministry. 
Um, <clears throat> I want to share and follow the vision of your church. Enjoy and glorify God, embrace his word, engage his world. I want to read just a few statistics, not to startle, or but to remind us that we need God in this grand endeavor to, to make disciples in all nations. We need him in every turn. The job isn't finished. Our marching orders are still relevant. They haven't changed. And we are making progress. Worldwide statistics can be overwhelming, more than 8 billion on the planet. Uh, thanks to Google, they gave an update, 8,045,311,447 at that moment. I'm sure there's more. There are 7,097 languages or people groups on earth. And with 678 having a full completed Bible, 1,515 have a New Testament completed, and 1,135 have some portion of the Bible translated, totaling 3,368 with some portion of those 7,000. In my hands, I have a translation, one of those 1,515 that my wife and I had the task of translating for one of the groups, one of the 36 nations in Bolivia, an ethnic group called the Eseja. And 10 years of hard work, God allowed us to uh, have help, I mean, good, good uh, consultants, a special man God raised up, one of the Esejas that helped me translate every verse. And now it's being used, and there are 10 villages in Bolivia and Peru, eight churches. And this morning, as I'm teaching in English, they're sharing God's word, and there are eight churches. I was thinking, uh, approximately three months ago, I gave my last message. And I have a Eseja file. We have an interpretation if somebody <laughs> want to give it a try. It's a language. It's not a dialect. It's a language. One of those 7,000 97 languages. Um, I was thinking, you know, there's about, we're halfway there, but it's interesting. A lot of people are bilingual. So if, if it's never translated in, in a language that maybe is their heart language, but a language that they speak, um, we may not have to translate all 7,000. In Spanish, I mean, in Bolivia, Spanish unites us, but there's 36 languages spoken. And I don't know if all those 36 are going to have a New Testament, but they can understand if they're bilingual in Spanish, the gospel. So we are making progress. Um, just briefly, I looked at 
There are approximately 385 births every day. I'm watching that clock. I'm not used to that. The essay is that when you say what time it is, they say, where's the sun standing? So all I see is that and trouble. They don't worry. They just look up, whatever. So 385,000 births every day on our planet. In one year, 140 million people are born. That's the size of the country of Russia. And my question is, is the job finished? No, because who's going to tell those 140 million people that were born this year? It's the church. Every day, 150,000 people die. And it uh, mentioned... 2004, the tsunami in Indonesia, 230,000 people died in one day. How many of those people heard the gospel? How many of those people understood and had hope in Christ? We'll never know, but the job isn't finished. And God works through the local church complicated the world with all these languages. Papua New Guinea has 800 languages with a population of 4 million people. 800 languages. Bolivia, there's 12 million and 36 languages. And I share these things that not uh, discourage, but to encourage that the idea that we can uh, just like wait for the rapture just kind of become passive, I don't think is God's will for, for the church. More than ever, we need to be sharing. There's an urgency. Things are falling apart. And it's very, very, um, what we see in the news, it's alarming. But we still have a job to do. <clears throat> What's helped me, and this will kind of my message, I like to think in ones, because it's complicated. But the idea for me is one friend, one coworker, one teammate, one classmate, one family, one street, one neighborhood, one town. Have to start one with somewhere. And you usually start with one. God led us to a nomadic, Tribe, Northern Bolivia, um, renegades. I don't know how else to describe them. Thieves, drunks. We're now residing in Sanford, Florida, not Sanford, Michigan. And we, right away, I'm curious, and right near where we're staying, there's a stadium for, uh, like, a minor league, and, and the team there are the Sanford River Rats. You have the Midland Loons, well, we have now the Sanford River Rats. And we think of a rat, it's not usually a compliment. And it just kind of hit me, that's a good description of the people that God led us to. Roaming the rivers in northern Bolivia, totally undisciplined, stealing to survive, living in streets in the city, and... 
God opened the door, we moved in, where do you start? And my wife and I mapped out the village. We learned the phrase, what's your name? And it was a little frustrating because they wouldn't tell us their name because they were afraid I would curse them. So I'd have to ask, what's his name? But we learned their names. That was the start. Names. When somebody knows your name, it's, it's, it's uh, the beginning of a friendship. And I share that because sometimes I think we lose that, even a church this size. I mean, there's people here that you might not know who they are, and yet you're a body. You're the body of Christ here in Midland. And you gather together, and there's somebody in this congregation that you don't know their name. I would say you should learn it. Um, because you're, you're together in this. We learned their names, and that was the beginning of a friendship. <clears throat> it was crazy because uh, their names would be like Born on the Island, Big Head. They all had a meeting, Cupped Ears, Birthmark on the Chest. Uh, one guy was named No Garden because he was very lazy, his wife. His, they named their son No Garden because the father wouldn't garden. And so all these names meant something, and we had them all memorized, and then the people got uh, registered by the government. When we started, they weren't even registered. And they ought to have, ought to have you know, like names like uh, Jorge, Felipe, Spanish names, Marcos. And they started going in the Bible and picking names like Nebuchadnezzar, uh, <laughs> Obadiah, Nahum. They just got all these crazy names in Spanish, the equivalent. And the killer was they were stealing last names because they didn't have last names. So they just went into town, heard somebody's last name, and used that as their last name. Uh, so that's where we started. Names. Now I want to get to what the God's word here in Acts chapter eight. The church is born, Pentecost. The sacrificial system is um, out, is over. Belief in Christ. Acts is a trans transition book. I know you have to be careful not to form doctrine, the events, and say, well, if they were doing this in Acts, and we can do it now. Just be careful. Um, so we pick it up here in Acts chapter 8. The church, um, very, very Jewish and very local, uh, centered around Jerusalem. And we know God said, go. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Go make disciples of all, all nations. That principle, God loves the world. Um, they had to be reminded. So I'm going to read. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. 
When they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, so there was great joy in that city. Thinking of the theme, enjoy God and glorify him. We saw when God transforms a village, it's amazing how the fighting, the drinking, just the loud, over-the-top partying changed into singing, joy, people, people understanding Little by little, the grace of God, his love for them. But we know from, history, or from the context that Paul was persecuting the church and they were localized house churches, not necessarily big buildings, but house churches. And God, I think in the big picture, used this to scatter, scatter them, to reach out instead of staying in Jerusalem. Revival breaks out. You know, the, the miracles, again, to validate, to give um, just credibility to what Philip was sharing. But there was great joy in the city, enjoying God, which is, it's all about walking in a relationship with him. And I think all of us verses come to mind, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's from the enemy. He's the, he's the accuser. God um, affirms his love and we can uh, have peace. And <clears throat> we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Amen? And uh, we were once dead, spiritually dead, and now we're alive. So they were, they were joyful. Then we go down to the next verses, text, in chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There is a desert place, and he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official, of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge with all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Go south, a desert road. And the question I had was, why would you leave a revival where God is working to go on a desert road? Once someone said to me, go to, a good sense is go, go to where God is working. And that is, I think, a, a good strategy, but... Um, what I believe, what we all need to know is when God is speaking to us, when he's moving, when he's prompting us is to obey. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Um, the world has a different calculator, totally. They won't understand any sacrifice to serve Lord. It's all about getting, you know, all about accumulating, all about being served. So we can't use their yardstick, but even sometimes uh, just asking God for wisdom, what he's doing, what he's leading. And it was obvious to Philip that he needed to go. Um, 
My wife and I worked for years without any fruit. There was no visible, just anything happening. And there was a time when our own leadership said, maybe you ought to, you ought to punt. I'm a Rikma. We have our, uh, our uh, what's group uh, with our family, Jared, Melissa, Jenny, Shelly. Rikmas don't quit. So, God, if we're supposed to leave, you just got to make it so clear because there's nothing happening. And I could hear a voice, stay, stay. One day there'll be a harvest after, after you sow. You don't know how long, but there will be a harvest. And Philip embraced the word. He responded, he went. And we know, I mean, for one person, God was leading him to one person. And my message is the potential of one person. He was a eunuch. I'm not going to get into that. Um, your kids are gone, but you can explain to them, your children. But this person made a sacrifice. No family, no kids. Really, his core value, loyalty to the queen politician, gave his life for basically the government. But God was working in his heart. And he traveled over 200 miles to worship, but he didn't see the big picture, the whole picture. So it speaks to me that God sees, God sees every person. You know, we walk by people. And it's easy to just become sort of disconnected. But every person, every person has a story, amen? Every person here can tell how they came to Christ and all the details. All those people that God brought into your life. And it's just a testimony of his grace. But you have a story. So one person is worth it. Amen? Let's go to the next slide. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran, ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. One person. And to me, go stand, go over and join this chariot is engaging. Go, as I have uh, written, is not complicated. You know, we, we initiate we talk, we invite. The Holy Spirit's prompting. And every person counts. I was listening to a guy give his testimony. He was one of these big mega churches, and he got in the wrong lane. Uh, and he couldn't back out. Some of those huge churches where you get in the wrong lane, and it's like you're already in the parking lot, and it's like, okay. I guess I might as well go to church because if I try to get out of this parking lot, it'll never, it'll never happen. So he goes to church. 
and his testimony is, I heard the gospel and wasn't planning on going to church, was in the wrong lane. To me, that, that's, the, that's an exception. That's God's greatness. God knew him. But I, I'd like to just say, how many people come to church because, well, let's just go to church. I don't think very many. They're just going, hey, let's go over to MEFC, see what's going on. But if someone invites them, someone says, hey, we're going to have this activity. Would you like to join us? Um, is, I believe, how God, God works. So we engage. We don't become passive. We look for ways to, to help, encourage, disciple, and teach. And what I like... <clears throat> the next stage, uh, next slide, is that he ran. Go, and he ran. To me, that's just somebody who's God. Here am I. If I can be a blessing, I'm ready. Going to the mission field was way over me. I felt very intimidated, very inexperienced. It was very hard to say goodbye. But I felt deep in my heart that God, God impressed on me to go. Go. Not waver, not say, well, a lot of people told me, you're too young, you don't know anything. Go to school. Uh, the kids I went to high school with said to me, I'm, gonna, I'm coming up on my 50th. I left for the field pretty young, still hanging with high school grads. And they thought I was in a cult. Uh, they said, you're doing, the, you're doing something pretty stupid. Uh, are you sure? And in my heart, I knew this is the best thing you can do, give your life, serve God, do something that's really as eternal meaning, store treasures up in heaven for his honor and glory. But he ran. No indecision, no wait, uh, waiting, embracing the word. He obeyed the Holy Spirit because he knew God directed him and this eunuch wanted to understand. And I like this where do you understand? Do you understand what you're reading? I think what a great approach, not to put somebody, you know, on the defensive right out of the bat. You're going to go to hell. I was one time witnessing in a high school basketball, and someone you've got to be provocative. I was younger, and he said, you ought to approach people, said, has anybody ever told you to go to hell? And the stranger says, no, well, God's word says, if you don't trust in Christ, you're going to hell. And I thought he was going to, you know, hit me on the coal cockpit, you know, like, let's put the gloves on, you know. You want to fight over that? And, and this approach, do you understand what you're reading, is a great way to me to engage and share the gospel, at least lay foundations.
our last verses here. In this, uh, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? The Phil- Philip, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and he baptized him. We never know, you know what level or what point people are at, but sometimes someone has to finally connect those dots because it's not blind faith. They have to understand what's happening. And many people are obviously involved, I believe, in how we come to Christ but to help them understand what's really happening. And then to encourage him. One desert road, one seeking person, one obedient believer, one glorious conversation, one testimony of faith. God be the glory. We don't know the end of the story with that eunuch, but I have this feeling when we get to heaven, we're gonna see the impact he had in his time and the potential of one is great. It's not a waste of time. Our story, Sharon and I got married in Bolivia in 1981. God led us to one nation in northern Bolivia. Uh, We started learning that language. It took us not years, but hours, over 3,000 hours to not just learn it, but to really get proficient so you could teach. And then we began preparing materials starting in Genesis. And very, very little response. Because they had their worldview, their culture, their interpretation of reality, so they weren't interested. One day, I used to fish a lot. Something God doesn't tell you. I mean, the devil doesn't tell you. The Esech are fishermen, and I had so much fun fishing. So I had a guy always go with me, and he he was like my trolling motor, paddling in the back and in these lakes where nobody else fishes and just having a grand old time. And we talk about the teaching. And one day he said to me, you know, I believe it. I believe it. And I tried to help him understand more, reinforce it. And he came to Christ. The first convert, and a year later, God took him. Never understood to this day. I don't know why, but he died in a tragic, tragic accident. One, one believer. And wrestling with that, and God in his faithfulness, you know, one, it starts with one. So look for someone else. Look for someone else to disciple, to get next to. And in that time, we saw the kids. There's just kids. When we first arrived, the kids were, there was a lot, but we'd ask people, how many children do you have? And they would say, well, living or dead. And we, my wife and I, just newlyweds, hoping to be parents. Why would you say that? Well, I had nine children. Five are dead. Never hit their first birthday. 
and my wife's a nurse, and we got involved in, in helping the sick because, because there was the nearest hospital was 12 hours away. Aspirin, no one considered that, and their worldview was so twisted that sickness was always a spiritual problem. So these kids were dying with diarrhea, parasites, and in those first days, it was hard watching them. We tried to get them to the hospitals, and they died in route or die in our home. And today, the camp, the camps are full of kids. They got a, not, a different problem now. They got a parent provide, but they're living, and they're in school, and they're happy. And mom and dad are learning to walk with the Lord. So we, we started discipling and teaching. Um, and those men that were once kids started growing up in Christ, starting using their gifts in the churches. And um, now they're leaders. Eight villages with churches that were once irresponsible, nomadic, pardon the expression, but river rats. And only God can do that. He can only transform. We're just tools in his hands, instruments, and um, just thank God that he gave us that opportunity for 40 years to live with them. Some of our best friends are Esaichas. Saying goodbye is very hard after so long, our family. But we knew it was time. It's time to move on. And that last day, the, uh, the last time together went, went for almost five hours where people expressed appreciation. The mayor, the politicians donated two cows so that got even more people in the big celebration, but it was our farewell. And we listened for about five hours of people saying nice things. I thought it was kind of like being in your funeral. Um, everybody's expressing, at least we could hear it. Um, but it was hard to say goodbye, but we knew it was time. And God's working. And with, uh, I left my cell phone someplace, but every day, I get uh, messages, phone calls. You don't disengage 2023. The world's really, we call Jared quite often. It's like we're all connected. And the tribal people too that God has led us to are uh, just a phone call away. But doing life together, that stage is over. And it was uh, difficult, but we knew it was time. And we were sent by churches. We've been saying goodbye to churches this last month. And we're, we're transitioning, not retiring in that sense. You never retire from God's work, amen? But like the Levi's trying to carry around the tabernacle. After 50, it's like, okay, I think we need some younger blood up here. <laughs> so <laughs> there are limitations, but... We know God has a place for us. We're praying about what church, what ministries in our new 
uh, play Sanford, Florida. So we praise God for what he's done. And we know the local church is part of that. And saying goodbye to these churches that supported us, some for over 40 years, was very emotional for me because it was a covenant. I always knew that they're standing, praying, never missed a, a month where they didn't send their support. And to God be the glory. <clears throat> and those... Uh, Treasures are their treasures too. Because they prayed and gave, encouraged, and we were a part of that. God bless, and I pray that middle and free won't lose sight, won't get um, off track, that we won't, by all that's going on, just. Well, we're waiting for the rapture or the rest of the world's going to hell. I'll end with this. One of the communities, one of the communities of the 10 villages is called hell. It's an Esaecha village called hell. I've been to hell four times sharing the gospel in Peru. And they're even believers and that's um, in hell, hell Peru. I heard there's a hell in Michigan uh, where people need to hear the gospel. So we thank God and thank you for the opportunity to share. And I pray uh, we just all feel, God, one person, one person is worth it. And what that one person does, only eternity will tell, but it's not a waste of time. Amen? I want to thank Make and Share, and I'm actually going to invite Share to come up right now and our leadership team and Pastor Kurt as we pray over what God is doing and continues to do through Mike and Share in the work, but also what God is going to do in this next transition of life. As they're coming up, we have one little gift for you, Mike and Share. Go ahead. the SAA people group 
I know I'm butchering that, but you guys know. Um, and we just rejoice that we will see them in heaven one day. For clarification, Becca, it is Esa so you need a little bit of phlegm there in the back of your throat to make that ha sound. Anyways, um, as a family, uh, we experienced firsthand some amazing privileges, such as becoming part of the Esa community, building cross-cultural friendships, and witnessing the gospel transform isolated indigenous villages. We also experienced difficult and painful sacrifices in order to be engaged in the work of reaching the Aseja people. Mom and Dad, we are proud of your faithfulness and perseverance despite the numerous difficulties and hardships of living among and ministering to the Aseja people. You modeled and taught us to persevere, to be faithful to God's calling, and to love and have compassion on the poor the outcasts, and the unlovely. Uh, I am certain that God has used my experience growing up on the mission field in Bolivia in his plan and guidance in calling Becca and I to serve in Papua, Indonesia. In many ways, the swamps and jungles of southern Papua are not that different from those of northern Bolivia and the Amazon. Also, Spanish and Indonesian languages are phonetically very similar, so that was very helpful to me. Thank you for being godly role models for us, mom and dad, and finishing well the work that God had for you in Bolivia over the last 40 plus years. Strider and Baron have a message for you, Grandma and Grandpa. Hi, Grandma and Grandpa, we love you. We're proud of the work you did in Bolivia. Hi, Grandma and Grandpa. I'm looking forward to seeing you next summer. I love you. Midland Free, will you please join in praying over my parents as they transition into a new phase of life and that God would continue to use them for his glory in the U.S. as he has done in Bolivia. We love you guys and God be with you all. Will you guys... We're going to pray for you guys. Yeah, we got you all emotional. And we'll start with these words from Paul, which I think are very uh, true of you guys after spending those years planting and bringing the gospel to the lost. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Lord, I just pray for Mike. I pray for Cher, Lord. And they have been faithful to the call that you laid on their hearts. It didn't matter where it was that you were gonna take them. You were go they were going to follow you, trusting you in all things. And you have been faithful to their obedience, Lord. I pray that you would help them now as they do transition, as they consider what is the next thing that you have for them, that they have an understanding that they have run a race, but they haven't crossed the finish line yet. We don't know what that day is. We don't know what that next task may be. But when you call them, they will run to the chariot that you point them to. And so I pray, Lord, Give them the endurance to run the race all the way to the finish line. 
We thank you for their strength and their perseverance to bring the gospel to ears that have never heard the name of Jesus and now sing praises, glorifying their Savior. They have seen a hope that far surpasses anything that they saw in this world. We thank you for them. We pray that you would continue to use this couple, their family, and your gospel to bring light and hope to dark places so that others will know and we will be joined together that one day where every tongue and tribe and nation will sing praises to Christ Jesus, our hope, our savior, our treasure. We look forward to that, Lord. I pray that you would help them to know that they will hear those great words. Good job, my faithful servant. Enter into your rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for sharing with us this morning. It was a privilege and an honor to have you here. So would you please stand with us as we declare what a wonderful um, time we will have, all declaring um, the goodness of God and his, and the nations, may the nations be glad. <laughs>
Well, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. A couple things. The south side chairs do have to come down. If you are like the eunuch and you want to know more about our Savior Jesus, we're going to have pastors, elders, and care team members up here by the stage after worship. So let me send you out with a benediction from Acts 8. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him, the good news about Jesus. May you all do the same. Go in peace.